0: this is the city of god podcast where christ meets culture Thank you for tuning in to the City of God podcast, where we are weekly looking at cultural issues through the lens of God's infallible word. I'm Rob Pacienza, and today I am joined by our co-host, John Rabe. Thank you, Rob. Great to be with you. I'm excited about today's program because it's
1: part two of a program that we began last week with a very special guest that is just as entertaining as anybody you could ever want to have on a podcast.
0: Absolutely. And uh, part two, we talk about uh, the importance of having a, a healthy understanding of patriotism in, in a nation where patriotism is under attack, uh, that it's uh, not acceptable anymore to uh, be patriotic. We talk about uh, our strong Christian heritage as nation, and so many other topics that we dive into. Yeah, our guest, of course, is Patrick Bet-David, who is an enormous uh, podcaster.
1: He's got uh, three and a half million followers on Instagram. He's got four million followers on YouTube, a regular on the Joe Rogan podcast and, and other major podcasts as well. He also is just connected with so many people. We talk a little bit in the program with him about some of the celebrity interviews that he's done, including one that I was surprised by that I've gone back and watched. That is really a, a key final interview for uh, a, a someone who has passed away, but who is a major pop culture figure. And we talk about all of that and more in this podcast with a guy who is uh, an Iranian immigrant who is from a predominantly Muslim nation and yet is a Christian living out his faith in the public sphere.
0: Absolutely. Converted to Christianity, served in the United States military, uh, as I already mentioned, incredibly patriotic, loves this nation, understands the Christian roots roots of this nation. We'll talk about how the radical left is trying to silence us. Uh, We'll talk about the indoctrination of our children and the next generation. And uh, by the way, I mentioned this last week, I have an opportunity to see him firsthand. Uh, He attends our church.
1: Yeah, you're his Uh, pastor. He and his family,
0: his children go to our school, Westminster Academy. So I know the things he talks about on podcasts, on social media, his emphasis on the next generation, the importance of family, I get to see him living this out on a daily basis.
1: And also just personally embarrassing to me because this guy came in dressed to the nines. I mean, a three-piece suit tailored, and I'm sitting there in jeans and whatever schlubby thing I had on. So I learned a very important lesson from Patrick Bed David that day. John, (laughs) you you also
0: mentioned uh, all of the celebrity interviews, and we'll have an opportunity to ask him who his favorite interview has been. I mean, he's interviewed uh, politicians, celebrities, rock stars, athletes. He even interviewed Mike Tyson, so we'll give you a, uh, He'll give us a little idea of uh, who he has uh, enjoyed sitting down with and who his favorite interview is so far. So, without further ado, uh, let's see part two of our interview with Patrick bet David. Uh, we've already talked about the Judeo-Christian worldview, how it is imp- impacts and influences and informs our view of family, marriage, politics, government. Uh, but even when it comes to uh, the roots and the foundation of this country, I mean, you are the epitome of the American dream. You are extremely patriotic. Uh, but even patriotism in this country is under attack. I mean, you hear from everybody. I mean, you hear the next generation. I mean, it's it's looked down upon now to be patriotic about America. Even to talk about the American dream, I mean, people will tear that apart and say, the American dream, this country was built on the uh, backs of slave labor. There's sy- systemic racism in this nation. So if, if a, what is your message to the next generation in this country concerning patriotism and where the the your love for America comes from? It's so, so interesting you say this. So one of the things I struggled with when I first started creating
2: content was the following. I'm in the insurance industry. Believe it or not, from the outside insurance industry, you would think it's filled with a lot of uh, capitalists, Republicans, conservatives. It's filled with a lot of Democrats from the left because they went to colleges, they got degrees. They became executives, and so they have those belief systems that they have. So uh, one time I'm in Iowa. I'm negotiating a contract with ING. I don't know if you guys remember ING. Sure. And uh, the topic comes up about politics, and the guy just starts saying things, and I give my thoughts. That dinner we had at Cheesecake Factory in Des Moines, simply because of what I shared, led to us not getting the contract with ING and this gentleman we were working with. I've never told a story. So I walked away. I'm like, What? What was this all about? What Mm. do you mean? Ah, I came here for what America offers. You just trashed the country? I said, man, this is tough. So then I said, okay, you got to pump your brakes and just kind of, you know, play it safe a little bit. And then let's see what happens until we get bigger. Then everyone's going to knock on the door. So what do we do? Our our mission statement when I announced July 17th of 2009, I was dressed as George Washington. My wife was dressed as Lady Liberty. We had a 40-foot Mount Rushmore on the stage. <laughs> I brought my pastor to talk about Star Spangled Banner. I brought Larry Greenfield from the Claremont Institute to speak on uh, Ron, uh, to speak on uh, capitalism, and I brought Michael Reagan, Ronald Reagan's son, to yes. come and talk about. I said, just tell stories about your father. That's all I care about. And we had this <laughs> event. The event was called Saving America, Bring Him Back." Saving America by bringing back the free Enterprises and hope to American families. That's been our mission statement since July 17th of Okay. Okay, till today. Well, it's a pretty bold statement, you know, when, uh, so so I'm sitting in the insurance I'm like, you know what, Patrick, you got to kind of just kind of be neutral a little bit. One year goes by, I'm in meetings and I'm just hearing people spew what they're saying. I'm like, I just want to say something to you right now. Okay, interesting. What do you think, Johnny? Oh, what do you think, Bobby? Okay, What do you think, Patrick? I don't know. I'm not really a big political guy, you know, but hey, toast, you know, all this stuff because you got to kind of like play the game. Right. It's 2014, 2015, 2016. We're making content. I tell Mario, don't let me talk politics. I'm making a motivational video. Next thing you know, three minutes later, I'm going into politics. He said, Pat, you just want politics. <laughs> but that's not politics. We can't go live with that. Reshoot. Go. It's 1130 at night. Okay, boom. Then I give a diplomatic message. Then finally, 2016, 2017 comes around. I said, I can't do it. I, I can't. So this is why we have to have the courage to call out BS, forgive me, yeah. for the nonsense that we're hearing and know that there may be some repercussions. We just have to be respectful. We have to be willing to hear the other side out. And we have to be willing to give our argument. If they like it or don't like it, no problem. But as long as we're respects, like the movie Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Hey, it's ask to him to leave, <laughs> but be nice. Yeah. What if they say this? It's fine. Ask him to leave, but, be, but what if they call your mom this? Is it true? No. Ask him to leave, but be nice, right? That, that concept yep. of be nice, we need to do so we can have those types of conversations. But yeah, I, I, I think the more we talk about it, and, you know, I was talking to a group of pastors in Newport Beach, and they're talking. I "So, hey, what do you think about what's going on with the Christian? You know, uh, numbers are down for uh, tithe and offerings at, uh, across the board. Not all churches. Some of them are doing t- something. T- some t- what do you think this is? I said, "I said, man, you guys, uh, this is like the best time to run a church today. Absolutely. Because you have a real enemy today. Yep. You know, if there's no real enemy, you can't have momentum. This Black is like a real enemy. Enemy, it's a true enemy. Every weekend from the pulpit, you know, life group, Bible study, you have a true enemy today that's trying to silence you, take everything away from you, and reach our kids. There is nothing more annoying than somebody trying to divide the relationship of a parent and a child, and they're trying to come in between that. That is emotional, that is painful. That's when parents all of a sudden wake up and say, wait a minute, you just crossed the line. You can say, Pythagorean theorem, whatever. You can talk about biology, mitosis. The moment you pin me against my kids, we got a problem here. about it. So I think this is a very important time. You have a very tough job right now. Uh, I, I feel for uh, pastors. I got a lot of respect for anybody that's brave enough to be a pastor today. It is not an easy job. You got a lot of weight on your shoulder. I know you do a great job yourself, but I also understand the weight you're carrying. Your wife is carrying. Uh, it's not a uh, fun time. To be that, but I also believe, you know, uh, uh, General Patton one time gave a quote. I don't know the whole context, uh, the verbatim what he says, but they're going to war. And he says, in less than 40 hours, we're going to go into war. Okay. And here's what's going to happen. The moment you're into war, you don't know this yet. You're scared now. You're afraid now, but your spirit's going to expand. And all of a sudden, you're going to meet a side of you you've never met before. He says, that person you will never meet unless there's opposition, war, enemy. You're about to go through it. You have that right now in a big way. Your job is not an easy job. The people that are working with you, your right-hand people, your supporters, the people that are within the community to help out, um, this is, a, uh, this is a, <laughs> it's a real war going on. Not the typical war that we're accustomed to, Afghanistan, Iran, you know, Persian Gulf. This is a different kind of war, but this may be a more important war for us to win And the more we sit on the
0: sidelines being quiet, the more we're giving them the edge. No, that's a good word. I mean, I tell our people all the time, it's never been a better time to be the church. It's Mm -hmm. never been a better time to be a Christian. It's black and white. We realize what is at stake. I mean, to think, I mean, you just mentioned it, to think that we live in a nation where parents don't have the rights to begin the conversation concerning gender, identity, and sexuality, uh, that we have states mandating, no, it's actually the right of the school. It's the right of the teacher before the parent has the right to have any say, to, to think that we live in a nation and a society like that is uh, just absolutely mad- maddening.
1: And there really is the idea now that, well, your kids are not really yours. They belong to the community. The school might be able to educate them better than you can. And they belong take, to the state. Right. Take them away it's from ridiculous. your personal prejudices and and, and we're going to teach them the, the right way. And you know, what What pastors like you, Rob, also have to deal with, and, and our founder, Dr. Kennedy, dealt with this as well. What happens is the left politicizes every part of life, and then somehow the church is convinced, well, we shouldn't be involved in politics. Stay out of politics. Yeah, I don't yep, want my pastor talking about bit. politics. As you said, Patrick, when you just started talking patriotically, people said, oh, you're being political, you're being political. Well, now marriage is political, now it's gender and sex are political, all of these being aspects. Being patriotic yeah, is political. Being patriotic is now considered a political stance so we will we will make these rules you can't be political oh by the way we're also going to make everything political when when people talk about america being so oppressive and and so uh backward and and you know that's just got to be infuriating for someone like you i would think you, you must just look around and say you have no idea you've never been anywhere if you think that this place is is repressive
2: yeah it's like uh you know the, the kid who complains about his father and his friends sitting to him, oh, I can't believe my dad is so tough on me. Do you know what he did to me last night? He made me do this. He made me take out the trash. He made me do the homework at 10.30 at night. And the, the friend's like, can you just be quiet? My dad <laughs> died two years ago, bro. Yeah. Like I wish he was there here right now to discipline me. Knock it off, you're annoying. That's what <laughs> Americans who complain about America sound to me. Mm-hmm. They're very annoying to me, very. The lack of gratitude today the lack of advancing what was given to you today, the lack of any of that, it's an insult to the people that created this great nation who went away from what Britain was doing to them to give people like you and I freedom. Now, do we have a perfect whatever story from the past what we've done? There was a time that people did what they did. Mm -hmm. We've cleaned up. Everybody around the world wakes up, for the most part, those who are living in oppressive environments, they dream about one day having a social security in America. They dream about having a Social Security card in America. How many illegal immigrants today their dream is to become legal and have a Social Security? And how many Americans today have a Social Security card? They're American citizens, but they're not proud of being American citizens. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, four years ago, I made a video. Here's what I said. I said, you think uh, you don't like America? Okay, no problem. I, I'd be, if I was the president, here's one campaign I would do. Very simple campaign. I said, I'm willing to give you $100,000 if you hate America to give up your citizenship, a one-way flight anywhere, but you can never, ever come back to America. Never, ever come back to America. You can go anywhere you want, but you can never come back to America. Leave and give up your citizenship. Go ahead. If America is so bad, here's $100,000. Get your out friend. of here. Yeah, then go somewhere friend.
1: else. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Why? That's racist. That's racist. How is that racist? You like money. Here's hundred grand. You hate America? Get out of here. Go somewhere else. But don't sit here and tell me about how much America sucks. Don't sit here and tell me about how this place is horrible. Don't sit here and tell me all this stuff because you want another handout on all this stuff. The amount of taxes we're paying right now just to support all these entitlement programs, how many more entitlement programs do we need? What else do we need? We're $31 trillion, $31.5 trillion in debt. How the hell are we going to pay all this stuff? By what? Trillion, we're going to pay through. You're going to have to tax us 100% for the next 10 years to pay all of that. How are you going to pay it off? You think the interest rate right now we're paying to Japan is small? You think the interest rate we're paying right now to China is small? You think all the rates, the way they're going, what do you think is happening to us with the rates that we're paying? N- not us as you and I, as a country. Mm-hmm. How are we paying the interest on this debt loan that we have from these guys? You think it's cheap? Ah, it's okay. We can afford it. another $1.9 trillion, another $1.7 trillion. It's, it's ludicrous what we're doing to this amazing system that was built by people that were born here while everybody else around the world still wants to come. Do you know right now the whole thing that they're talking about, the one-child bo- uh, one uh, uh, policy that they came up with in China? Mm-hmm. Sure. And it backfired on them. The average American today is 36 years old. The average Chinese citizen is 38 years old. But the average Indian citizen is 27 years old. Mm. Because Indians said, no, keep having kids, right? Their population-wise, I think either just past China or they're at the same level as China. Here's a problem China is experiencing right now. Having that one-kid policy hurt them with growth of the nation, and it's getting older. You need young youth innovation. You need younger people to create better products, right, to push the envelope. No problem. But here's what happened as well. Now billionaires are leaving China. Business owners are now leaving China. They're now having negative, negative population growth, not because people are not having kids, because people are now leaving. Mm. They are leaving the place to other places. They're saying we're sick of all the way you've been controlling us. Now, the way they have to leave in China is a different way. You have to leave like I'm going on vacation. I'm just not coming back. You know what I'm saying? So I'm (laughs) kind of like out of here to go to a different place. So- We have plenty of case studies. Absolutely. To show that this place works and other places don't as effectively Well, that's effectively a great example. Us. I mean,
0: China, a purely secular society, you've yeah. totally removed God from the public square, uh, from all of public and private life. There's a great example of the, them years later now facing the repercussions of what happens when you remove God, when you remove a Judeo-Christian worldview from all of life and from all of society, particularly the role of the traditional family. Uh, and it's just amazing. I mean, as we were talking all about uh, all of These issues uh, today. I mean, to think that you, Patrick bet David, uh, uh, coming to America, uh, fulfilling the American dream incredibly successful because of the free market enterprise in this nation, being deemed an enemy in this nation because of your patriotism uh, just shows us the work that we need to do as the people of God in this nation to teach the next generation. Where did these freedoms come from? Where did all of these rights come from? Where did the ability to make a dollar come from and to even have the beliefs that you have? It all comes from the Judeo-Christian worldview, which is the fabric and foundation of our nation. Last thing. valutainment uh you have a uh, entertainment industry uh, company that you've started uh, and one of the things that you do is podcast and you have had the opportunity to interview people uh from all walks of life from all different industries with different stories and so i've got to ask you who is the best interview that you've uh, ever had well i mean you got
2: to put kobe at the top okay because the, the kobe interview you know when we did At Mirage, there was 6,000 people in the audience. People rushed the stage. We had to get security there to get him to back up and get him to grab a seat. And then, you know, he made the comments he made when we talked about Shaq. And I said, Hey, if Shaq had your work ethic, what would have happened? And he said, We would have had 12 championships. Mm. Shaq responds. Shaq DMs me. He blocks me. He's upset at me. And then that leads to Shaq and I having a conversation together just a, a year ago, eight months ago, at MGM Grand Arena. With my son sitting right next to me, my son and him became friends. Shaq always messages and says, hey, tell Bill and I said hello. And they got <laughs> a unique relationship. But, you know, it would be Kobe. But to me, I like, um, Rob, I like the Bates. Yeah. I like the Bates a lot. So when I, uh, uh, like, I one time spoke to uh, the sixth grandson of Thomas Jefferson. His name is Lucian Truscott. And if you've never seen this, if you want to be entertained... He's the only one that's ever called me, you know, words at the end of the interview because, you know, how much he would uh, throw his uh, great grandfather, Thomas Jefferson, under the bus and it got heated. It was the shortest interview I ever did. I think it was like 32 minutes. So I like a little bit of that. I like when I spoke to a uh, uh, communists or, you know, who's the legendary socialist professor, Richard Wolf, who Forbes said they're a the number one. Socialist professor. I like having those debates and discussions. I spoke to a communist professor from, you know, uh, 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 Pomona uh, 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 College who talked about the two greatest leaders in the history of the world were Lenin and uh, he gave another person that literally if you find out what these guys did, he says Lenin and Mao, the two greatest leaders who changed the face (laughs) of the best. I said, so if a kid today has the choice of being a Lenin, a Mao or a Bezos, which is better? Oh, if you're Bezos, you're ruining people's lives. I'm like, oh, my, I can't even believe you're saying this. And he's a professor. So it's exposing what's going on in the marketplace. So I like the debates. Obviously, we've had a, a mobster, Sammy de Garvano, That was very interesting. Michael Francis. We've had a lot of different CIA agents, FBI agents, Mark Cuban, billionaires. Um, Ray Dalio. But to me at the top, by itself, is going to be Kobe.
0: Yeah. Very last question. you got people listening out there. Uh, believers, Christians, and maybe scared in this cultural moment to live out their faith. Uh, What's your message to them? Um,
2: Okay, so go watch the movie Gladiator, okay, where I start the movie from 42-minute mark, 41-minute mark. That's the point where he comes home and he sees his wife and kids because I want to feel that pain. And then you see from there, he's like giving up on life. And he's like, I don't care if I die. You know, he becomes a slave. They want to beat him up. He could care less about any of that stuff. And then his friend kind of inspires him to have this toy. One day you're going to see him. One day you're going to see him. One day you're going to see him. This is pain. This is true pain. I watched that a couple hundred times, right? And then one day he says, "Hey, hey, you got your freedom. I also want my freedom. And he says, win the crowd, win your freedom, right? Win the crowd, win your freedom. To win the crowd, you risk having opposition. To win the crowd, we have to learn how to have tough conversations in a way that doesn't lead to, you know, uh, offending or disrespecting. Yeah, a person may get offended, but you don't have to disrespect. We have to get better at having tougher conversations and yet being comfortable that there may be a little bit of back and forth but being respectful when you walk away. So almost like the sandwich model. Start off with a compliment, give them the criticism, finish mm-hmm. with the compliment. Start off with thank you for making the time. Let's talk about this. Have the heated debate and say listen, I appreciate you for being open to even this discussion. Right. Rather than, I got I don't you that's walk. That's the paradigm down. Jesus
0: taught, yeah. grace and truth. Yeah. yeah. You got to balance and tr- that. That
2: that's and, and I think yep. we need to we need to kind of work on that. Uh, But the solution isn't to say, oh, my God, I'm not going to talk to my uncle again. I'm not going to talk to my brother again. I'm not going to talk to my friend again because every time we do, it goes into fight. No, then you're a coward, and we're not Mm -hmm. cowards. We have courage. We have to have courage. We just have to work on the delivery of having tough conversations with people in our lives. Because if you don't have that debate, you're not going to make them think, yeah, sometimes we were sons, and our father would have a tough conversation with us. And we would act like we didn't hear anything he said. But all day long, all you thought about is what your dad told you. You never gave him the benefit of the doubt, but we thought about it, okay? Our sons are the same way. Our kids are the same way. I'll say, Tico, listen to me, da-da-da-da. Dylan, listen to me. Oh, I know he's thinking about it. Those people that need to hear this message, whether you think they are thinking about it or not, I guarantee you when they're in their car by themselves, they're thinking about what you said because you pushed the envelope. So have the courage, push the envelope, just be respectful. Love it.
0: Patrick, thank you for your courage. Thank you thank for you having for me your, on. Yeah, we appreciate for your friendship, it. Uh, for your service to this nation, for and for living out your faith in public. It, thank you. It makes you. a difference. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the City of God podcast and our interview with Patrick Bett David. This podcast, along with all the other podcasts, are made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. This is a weekly podcast, so make sure that you go to cityofgodpodcast.com. That's cityofgodpodcast.com, where you can hear this interview and see all uh, here and see all previous interviews as well. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can go back and see the video version on our YouTube page. Make sure that you share this podcast with friends and family or anyone you think would be interested about exploring cultural issues from the lens of God's word. I want to thank you once again for listening to the City of God podcast. And we'll see you back here next week.